0: grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And welcome once again to our Ash Wednesday, the remix service. Am I the only one that thinks that's funny? All right. You'll get it here in a few minutes. And even though this isn't actually Ash Wednesday, you know, not on the calendar anyways, you know, the weather didn't uh, agree with that. Um, I know everybody had a hard time shoveling out like I did, right? Where's Mel? She was telling a really good story about losing the car in the snowbank. But having said that, um, I tell people all the time that we do things a little bit different around here. Um, and that's, that's for a reason. And I think tonight is going to epitomize that. Um, the reason we do things, the reason I say it like that, is because if we don't take the words that are in this book... If we don't take these words literally out of these pages and apply them to our lives, then none of this really matters. So I'm going to frame some things here first. I'm going to pretend that it's a little bit of Ash Wednesday because that's what we're going to experience here tonight in a different kind of way. But I just want to get some things defined a little bit. You know, we take some teaching moments as we do this. And I'd like to do that to just, again, to frame things before we um, get things going. So, for example, what exactly is Ash Wednesday? Um, Why do we celebrate it? Or why was it celebrated a week ago? Um, Ash Wednesday does a couple things. It marks, maybe everybody knows that, it marks the beginning of the Lenten season. We look at Lent as 40 days. Um, On the calendar, it's actually 46 days um, because we're supposed to give up something for Lent. You've heard that before. Or maybe take on something for Lent. And the reason we do that The reason we give something up or give something away is so that we can make more room for God in our lives. Uh, The reason we take some things on in our lives is to grow in our relationship with God. You know, uh, we talk, you've seen uh, faith milestones here many times, I'm sure. And every time you hear me say this, I hand this book to these guys, these kids, so that they can grow in their relationship with God. So that's something we can bring on into our lives. Maybe it's an extra devotional or maybe it is a devotional or something else that you can add into your life. And maybe something has to get taken out of your life so that we can make room for that. That's what Lent is. Like I said, now it's 40 days. We say Lent is 40 days, but on the calendar it's 46 because we don't consider Sundays to be part of the things that we're giving up, right? Because Sunday is kind of a mini um, Easter celebration. The old church, the early church called them feast days where we were celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're building into through the season of Lent. Every, sor- every Sunday is sort of a mini Easter, therefore worthy of celebration. Now, um, Lent um, is kind of, uh, as far as the church goes, a newer idea. Um, it was done in the Council of Nicaea, and then Pope Gregory, um, 600-ish, you church historians, um, really implemented it. He said, this is what we're going to do. And he is, he's one that um, standardized... The administration of the ashes, too, that we're going to talk about here um, in a little bit. The ashes um, kind of represent um, our, the, the fact that we're sinners and that we're in need of a savior. Um, because as we've talked about before, and um, I'm kind of reviewing some things that we've talked about here, so maybe you've heard me say some of these things before, but um, it's nights like this that they bear repeating. And it's nights like this that we really bring these things home to us and grasp them for the important things that they are in our lives. To wit... Um, When we talk about our relationship with God, God has created us to be with him, right, to have a relationship with him. And then there's no getting around the fact that it's our sin in our life, our rebellion in life, and we've talked about this about a month ago right here, so you can go back and listen to that. We talked about the sin in our life, that's, that's what separates us from God. The Bible says that God is so holy, he cannot be around sin. Well, God wants that relationship with us, so he figured out a way to get that sin out of our lives. Now once we can grasp that concept, those two things, that God created you to have a relationship with him, that's why you're created. What's my purpose in life? To have a relationship with God. What gets in the way of that relationship is the sin in our lives, the rebellion in our lives. Once we can grasp that concept, right, then God can begin working with us. Once we grasp those two ideas, that he wants a relationship with us and we're getting in our own way. Once we can grasp that, then God can start working with us. And the ashes that we're going to work with later in our service, again, help us come to that realization, help us visualize that realization, gives us another opportunity to maybe um, freely confess our imperfections, if you will, Um, maybe let down our pretenses around one another, right, and be honest and open with each other. Again, that's right there, that concept is what separates Christians or Christianity from every other religion in the world. We know that we can't do it on our own. We freely admit that we can't do it on our own. That we need a Savior. There's no enlightenment or anything like that that we're going to do on our own or work into our own. We know that we need help. And that's what the season of Lent is all about. Growing closer to God. I think it was at this time last year that I quizzed you a little bit on the word Lent. We throw it around all the time, but I, I, I asked you, you know, do you actually know what that word means? Do you have a working definition of that word, lent? I'll give you a hint. It's not the past tense of lending something, right? I lent that to somebody, and I never got it back, right? Lent is, uh, and it's not an acronym either for my Army brethren, Air Force brethren. It's not an acronym. Lent is from an old English word that we don't use anymore, and it has to, it has to do with, with springtime. It it goes to the springtime. And it means uh, several different things. It means to lengthen, as in the days are getting longer now in the springtime. Days are getting longer, right? But it also means renewal. Lent means to be renewed, Um, like everything growing back in the springtime, right? Think about those asparagus buds pushing up through the ground, right? Everything is renewed, right, growing back in springtime. So we are to use these 40 days of Lent, or 46 if you want to do it like that, these days of Lent to renew our relationship with God. Lent is to renew our relationship with God. You might think, I've got a really strong relationship with God, and I'm not going to stand in your way from saying that or listening to that. But maybe we can get a little bit stronger in our relationship with God. That's what Lent is all about. That's why we give things up. That's why we take things on to grow in our relationship with God. Lent means renewal, right? It means to lengthen. It means to strengthen tracking with me so far? Tracking with me so far? Turn to somebody and say, I'm actually tracking with him tonight. <laughs> okay, so Ash Wednesday isn't just about the beginning of Lent, right? And if, you know, we had our, more of our youth group here, and these guys are being very well behaved tonight, by the way. I've never heard you guys so quiet on a Wednesday night. This is amazing. But your questions right now, your question right now should be something along the lines of what about the ashes? Right? Can we talk more about those ashes? What's up with the ashes? You know, actually, Ash Wednesday keeps people away from church. I mean, because they don't want ashes. They don't want that. And they, so I've had uh, kids, especially, come up and they'll hold their hands over their forehead. Be like, well, you're getting on your nose then, is what's going to happen to you, right? People from different denominations will tell you um, that, that Ash Wednesday is not in the Bible. So we don't celebrate it, or we don't observe it, they'll say. And I'll say, good point. Ash Wednesday is not in the Bible. We are not, Jesus didn't say, 40 days of length, go and put some ashes on your forehead. He didn't say that. I like to point out that Jesus also didn't say, celebrate Easter Sunday. Jesus never said anything about celebrating Christmas. But we do that, right? And we do that for a really good reason. We do Ash Wednesday for a really good reason. The Ashes. Ashes are actually very biblical, believe it or not. They show up in the Bible a lot. And Maybe next year, I was thinking about this when I was going over some notes this morning, I thought maybe next year we'll do a little bit more of a a round um, talk about ashes and how they're brought into the Bible. But these ashes are supposed to remind us, and they do. These ashes are to remind us that we we fall short of God's glory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you might think, stop throwing that in my face. I got that down. Well, you know what? Sometimes we need to face reality, and we need to look at it straight in the face to be able to understand it, to be able to go back to that square that I was talking about earlier, that our sin actually separates us from God. Why do we talk about it so much? Because it's a big deal. If you have something, if I told you there's something in your life that's going to separate you from God, you'd say, help me get rid of that. Because I don't want to be separated from God. That's why we talk about it. That's why it's out there. And that's also why we read things like out of the book of 1 John, but I'll get to that in a few minutes. So what's up with those, right? That sin in our lives looks like a big black mess on ourselves. and again, we'll talk more about that in a minute. So when we read through places in the Bible that refer to ashes in that context that I'm framing here, we often see right next to it the word dust. Right, the word dust. Lyle read a couple of them tonight. These words, um, dust and ashes, serve the same kind of purpose, the same function. And that function is to remind us that we are temporary here on this earth. Dust is to remind us that we are temporary here on this earth, that we're small, we're of little significance without God in our lives. We are of little significance without God in our lives. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that every Sunday I say that this is my favorite Bible verse. Well, some of my favorite stuff is actually going to come out tonight. Favorite moments in the Bible, for example, the creation story in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is just kind of a retelling of Genesis 1. And it starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And as we read through the first couple of verses, several verses of Genesis 1, we see a theme, a common theme, reoccurring. A lot of repetition. It goes something like this. It says, and God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. God said, let there be a sun and a moon and stars, and it was so. God said, let there be vegetation on the earth, and it was so. God said, let there be a sky, let there be ground. God said, let the ocean be filled with fish, and it was so. God said, let the sky be filled with birds, and it was so. So, let the earth be covered with all kinds of animals, and it was so. Until. Until it came time to create us humans. Then, as, as you're reading through the story and you're, and you're imagining the narrative in your head, it's almost like time stops. And God Himself, right? God Himself puts on His overalls and He comes down to His creation comes down to earth and he sticks a knee down in the mud and he, and he forms a human from the dust. Genesis 2.7 says it like this. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. and Man became a living being. Doesn't say anything about God speaking there. Doesn't say, and God said. No, God said, when it comes to forming people, rolls up his sleeves, he says, I got this myself. And he puts it together. Bit by bit. And then he got this mud, earth, mannequin kind of standing there in the form of Adam. And then the most remarkable thing happens. You know, I like to play on words here a little bit. God could have said, let there be life, the same way as he said, let there be light. But he didn't. God takes a big, deep breath, and he breathes life into this mud and dust, and it became a living being. God breathed his very life into his masterpiece that's standing there. After everything else he made, he forms this man, he forms this human, and breathes the breath of life into him. Those words, living being, by the way, are where we get our word soul from, had the life of God in them, in us. Another reoccurring thing we see to this point in creation is God said, and it was so, and it was good. God said, and it was so, and it was good. God forms man, breathes his life into him, and he doesn't say this is good. No, he says, oh, this is very good. This is very good. So now time starts again, and everything's back in motion again. And it's very good, until it isn't. This creature, these creatures that he's formed, that he's made, that he's breathed the breath of life into, all of a sudden start rebelling against him. And again, I I point this out every opportunity I can. Don't blame those two for what happened. Because if any of us were standing in that same position, we'd be in the same boat we are today. We humans broke the deal with God. We go our own way. We're rebellious, right? We kick at the goad, so to speak. And God gives us the freedom to do that. To go our own way. But then God pointed out that there's a price to pay for that action. Genesis 3.19 By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken you were formed from the ground for you are dust and now to dust you shall return because God told them straight up he said if you eat from that tree over there you will surely die come on we're not going to die you know Because you were taken from the ground, you were returned to the ground. And in an earlier time, everybody knew this. This was common knowledge. Take Abraham, for example. This whole idea of dust. Fast forward a little bit to Genesis 18, 27 maybe. Then Abraham spoke. He's talking to God, right? He says, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am what? Dust and ashes. I'm so insignificant. Without you, there is no significance so let me continue to speak to you. But I know where I am. I know who I am. Because, like I said, we understood that at one point. Abraham understands where we have come from and where we're going to return to. I want to see a couple more just to make the point. Psalm 90, verse 3 that Lyle read a second ago. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, this isn't something that God is throwing in our face. This is just reality that he's bringing back to us. Reality that he's bringing back to us. He says, I formed you out of the dust, and so we're going to go back to dust. But I also breathed the breath of life into you. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says this, all go to the same place, all came from the dust, and all return to the dust. Okay, so we get it, right? I could give you a dozen more scriptures that look just like that. We're formed from the dust, we'll return to the dust. Okay, because of our sin, right? What did I say separates us from God? Because of that sin. The wages of sin is death. Okay, we get it. Eat from that tree, surely die. Okay. Remember that you're dust, dust you'll return. Okay. But when God talks about our sin, our rebellion, you know, the definition of sin is to literally not agree with God, to be disagreeing with God, to not be on the same page as God, right? It means there's a couple other meanings too, like missing the mark, okay, I get that, but it's, it's more of a rebellious kind of thing, it's more of a, an intentional kind of thing, and God gives us the freedom to do that. So when he talks about our sin, he talks about the temptations that we face, God says, first of all, he says very clearly, I'm not the one that's going to tempt you. There's a tempter that is going to tempt you. But he says there's a couple things. You know, God says, I'm going to provide the way out of that temptation. So when we start examining this, we start putting some things together. We start to realize, we have to understand that we are the ones choosing to give into that temptation. We put that sin, we literally, literally put that sin on ourselves. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. Love this verse because it says you're tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted. So first of all, that's kind of saying in a very polite way to get over yourself. Because everybody is tempted. Might look different to different people, different verse of the same song, but I guarantee they're going to rhyme, right? Those temptations. But then it says this, but God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much, literally beyond what you can handle. So these temptations that come down at us look really enticing. But God says, I am going to give you the ability to handle that temptation, to resist that temptation, to be able to walk away from that temptation. But what do we do? We step right over into it because it looks pretty good. And then he says this, just to make sure that we get the point, right? When I say that God wants us to understand something, he shows it to us with clarity, with certainty. There's no getting around this. He's not going to let you be tempted by more than you can handle. And he will show you how to escape from your temptations. So when we give into those temptations, right, we freely choose that sin in our lives, right? So that idea, that whole concept got me thinking, and I know that's a dangerous thing. On Ash Wednesday, you know, we come up and, and some dude puts ashes on your forehead, Well, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we're the ones doing it to ourselves. So why should somebody else put those ashes on your forehead where you can't even see them, where everybody else can see them, but we don't even recognize them? Because how many many times do we have that sin in our lives, that disagreement with God, that rebellion against God? How often do we have that in our lives and we don't recognize it ourselves? So again, that got me thinking. So this part... This year is part of our remix, our Ash Wednesday remix. You're going to do it yourselves. We give in to those temptations when God says a couple things. He says, You're not going to get tempted by more than you can resist. And I'm going to give you the way out. And we still jump into it with both feet, eyes wide open. Knowing full well the consequences of what we're choosing. And as David, King David said, against you and you alone, I've said, we know. And yet, here we go. So if that, we're going to get the idea here. We're going to have to get a little messy with it. I've got some volunteers that are going to come up and help me. This would be a great time to come on up. All of you. Come on. I need four of you. Two at the washing stations, two over here. So this is what we're going to do. I got. But God says. That's not where the story ends. If the gospel is that God created us to have a relationship with him. And our sins separate us from him. God figured out a way to take the sins out of the world, to take sin out of the world. John the Baptist saw Jesus walking alongside the river and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world, not, not covers the sin of the world, none pretends it's not their sin, takes away the sin of the world. So the crazy thing about this book that we look at is that God figures out a way to bring us back to him, even though we're the ones getting in our own way of that. God gives us the freedom to rebel against him, but he gives us the freedom to turn back to him. Every morning, every Sunday morning, I try to remember, I'm not sure if I said it tonight or not, but I try to remember that we quote the book of 1 John. These aren't just some words that came out of nowhere. These are the words that came out of 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in if we say that we're not responsible for those black smudges on those pieces of parchment paper, we're liars. The truth is not in us. And John says, we call God a liar. But God, the craziest plot twist of all time, figured out how to take that sin out of the world. And he says things like this. He says, I'm going to refer you like gold. I'm going to refine you like, like silver with fire. He says, what comes out of that fire, the stuff that doesn't belong is going to get burned away, and the stuff that stays, that's what I want. And that confessed sin in our life, right? Confession means to acknowledge that sin in our lives is taken away And God says, I will remember those sins no more. God says, it's as if it never happened. They don't exist. And then he says, I'm going to set them as far away as the east is from the west. He says, I'm going to refine you like fire, through fire. I'm going to refine you like gold. And I'm going to refine you like silver. And so, wait for a couple more of those lights to go out. If you ever want to see what God does with the sin in our lives, it's not a coincidence we put these on the cross. We're beginning the season of Lent. That's all about the cross. All about what Jesus did for us and what we're going to be celebrating here in a little bit. Douse them all, Jared. If you ever wanted to see what God does with the sin in our lives, what He means when He says, by the way, don't look right at it. When He says, I'm going to refine you with fire. Marshall, you put a piece of paper on that nail, did you not? Would you come up and find it for me? It's gone in a flash. Like I said, in the craziest plot twist of all time, God figured out a way to get that sin out of the world and out of our lives. Why? Because it separates us from him and it gets in the way of our relationship with him. And God says, I'm not going to have any of it. We're going to make it disappear in a flash. So when we confess those sins and we bring them to the cross, they're gone forever. Again, if anybody wants to challenge me and come on up and find the one that you put on there, we remind ourselves and each other about what puts us here in this situation, what brings us here. It's our sin that brings us here. Those ashes represent those sins in our lives, that's ugly smudge on our foreheads, right? That we freely choose to put there. And God says, I understand. God says, I get it. God says, these bodies are temporary. Paul refers to them as a tent. Just like a tent gets blown away in the wind. He said, these are temporary things, not meant to be permanent. But God says, I'm bringing you home to a permanent place. The soul, the spirit that God breathed into Adam lives on, even though the body, he told Adam, you're going to turn into dust. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 brings this all home for us. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Right? The book of James says that you're a vapor in the wind. Go out on a cold morning like it was this morning, and you breathe out, and you see that, that little mist that comes out. It lasts for a moment. It's kind of cool to look at, and then, and then it's gone. James says that's what our life is like. It's a moment. A moment in time. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful, ends Sorry if that's a spoiler alert, right? Life as we know, it, beautiful as it is, precious ends. The body is put back into the same ground it came from, the same ground that it came from. But the Spirit returns to God who first breathed it. If that's not the best news you've heard today, I'd like to hear what else you heard today. God breathed his Spirit into your soul. He breathed your soul into your body. These bodies don't matter. These bodies don't matter. They're temporary. One day they're going to return to the ground. They're going to turn to dust and ash. The key to that whole thing, that flash right there, is our repentance and God's amazing grace. The key to understanding that we fall short of God's perfection. The key is we, we have to understand that we fall short of God's protection, or perfection. Sorry. I'm trying to say that we all need His forgiveness, right? That cleansing fire that He offers to all of us to be made pure again. Why? So we can be back in that relationship with Him. That whole story, that whole thing that the Bible talks about. We kind of try to sum it up in some of these words. If you'd stand with me, please. We try to sum it up in the words of the apostles.